the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. More crazy wedding stories, and later, a celebrity pastor is making waves again. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Wednesday evening. My name is Aubrey Sampson, as always, joined by my co-host, Brian Fromm. We are so thrilled you are with us today. If you missed any of the show, we were just catching up on kind of a crazy conversation about a couple that catered their wedding with chilies. We loved it. We loved it. We decided that I don't like chilies, but I like the idea. Yeah, and you're you you're a uh, you're a restaurant snob. Uh, you might be right, Brian. Like I wasn't gonna say yes, but I sort of started to realize it as we were talking. Can I ask? Can we, let's circle back to this. Okay. Is there? Any restaurant that you would go to a wedding and go, that's out of bounds. If they were like, listen, we love a McDonald's cheeseburger, so we're going to just do McDonald's. Like, that's our thing as a fan. Like, is there a level, like, if it's, you know, they want to praise Jesus, Mm -hmm. so they have a Mm Chick-fil-A, right? So they go, hey. I think I'd be okay with McDonald's. I'd be okay with Chick-fil-A. It would start to get a little shaky territory for me with, like, like a White Castle well, you went bottom of the barrel. Yeah, even like a Wendy, like anything lower than McDonald's on the like fast food tier. What is lower than McDonald's on the fast food tier? I think Wendy's is lower than McDonald's. No, Wendy's. No, that's Keith. Keith, I need Keith to weigh in, our our executive producer. Our executive producer, Keith Conrad, is here. I think Burger King is lower than McDonald's. You guys disagree? Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would say that you're you're definitely right about White Castle. Yeah, White okay. Castle okay. is below McDonald's. Okay, uh, but I would say that uh, Burger. Burger King and uh, Wendy's are both above. Where does Sonic fit in this? They don't. That's more regional. I've literally never eaten at a Sonic. <gasps> Sonic's so good. I would go it to is. a wedding with Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to Would you have the, like the drive-in wedding? Like you have to be at the drive-in? <laughs> I love this idea. Okay. Let's do, let's people's a long line. Yeah. All right. So speaking of crazy weddings, we actually decided we're going to keep talking about them because we all sort of realized on break we have some funny stories. That's why you're hearing Keith Conrad, our executive pastor. Before we producer. hear Keith's producer, wow. pastor, <laughs> he's yep. also our pastor. Your jobs have collided. That was maybe, like, maybe that was like from God. I just called yeah. you into something new, Keith. That's not a bad promotion. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know financially. Uh, that's, funny. Good, but... that's funny. Okay, so here's my crazy wedding story. So I went to Speaking of restaurants, I did go to a fancy restaurant a few, this was like maybe a year ago, Cooper's Hawk. We're all fans here of Cooper's Hawk. We are. And uh, I'm like realizing I know the waitress. I know the waitress. I know the waitress. I know her. I know her, but I don't know why. And then I thought, well, maybe I've had her at Cooper's Hawk before. Well, as I'm going home, I realize I have seen her on an episode of Disney's Fairy Tale Weddings. Do you recognize her? I recognized her. And I went back and I found it on uh, Disney Plus and I just, I like, it all hit me. She was in an Alice in Wonderland themed wedding on Disneyland Weddings. And so the next time I went to Cooper's Hawk, I found her and I was like, I, can I ask you something? And we talked about the whole thing. That, that was she her. wasn't creeped out by that? 
No, I think she thought it was cool that I like recognized her. And I mean, you don't go on Disney when you fairy go on Disney fairy tale wedding, wedding do they pay for the fairy tale wedding? So I wanted to ask that, but I didn't. I don't know if they pay for the fairy tale wedding or not. I don't know. I think they do. Do you? I do. I think that might be giving them the best. It's good advertising for them. That's what yeah, I mean. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, yeah. It was a cute wedding. It was Alice in Wonderland themed wedding. All right, Keith, what is your um, wedding story? Uh, my wedding story uh, does not involve chilies. Okay. Does it involve Disney? No, no. I, I actually, we didn't have any reception at all. Does it involve a global pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> that, it does. Oh, yeah, that's right. Keith had a COVID wedding. Uh, yeah, so uh, my, uh, my, my now wife, uh, she and I met actually working here. Lovely. Radio love. The Jim and Pam. The Jim and Pam of Salem Media. (laughs) Basically, uh, she has since since moved on and works from home and never leaves the house. No, no, no. no, no. (laughs) Moved on from from the radio station and uh, never leaves the house uh, because she works remotely. But um, so we got engaged in November of 2019. Whoa. And just to, you know, tell you how adorable it was uh she is a comic book artist and so i reached out to a person that i know who is both a comic book artist and a podcaster and i listened to his podcast and i actually had him make like a single panel comic with the proposal in it oh that's so cute well done sir uh so i thought that was going to be like the big deal of our thing because we were like oh well we'll just have like 50 people there it won't be a, a big deal so then the pandemic hits, uh, and we were uh, our our wedding was scheduled for May thirtieth, and you know we kind of had a there, there was a moment anniversary happy anniversary well thank you and, and there was a moment where it's like okay we can either just do this yeah. or we can put it off until whenever it happens yeah. right and so we're just like you know what let's let's just do it whatever whatever we can do on May thirtieth we'll, we'll, we'll just do that because. Now there are starting to be people doing like Zoom weddings right. and everything. That's right. There we were. were actually already going to stream the wedding because we were going to have a small one anyway. Oh, okay. So we thought, okay, we'll just throw it up on on YouTube and yeah. Facebook Live, yeah. so that people who can't come can can see yeah. it. So we just decided, okay, we're just gonna we'll just do it, yeah, on Facebook yep. Live. Yeah. And uh, as we were planning our wedding, uh, Marcus Brown, our boss here, yes, because of the fact that we started dating while we were working here, he said he would wrestle anybody else who tried to marry us. Oh, that's so cute! <laughs> so he he officiated over the uh, over the wedding. Were you going to wrestle him, Brian? Were you like, I want to be the one to do it? If it happened now, I think I would. Keith and I were not. We but were you didn't very know each other back then. Not okay. not nearly as okay. well. Gotcha. So and, uh, gotcha. and and May thirtieth, twenty twenty was it was the day after things opened. So, oh, wow. Uh, everything opened, you know, like the lockdown ended on May 29th. Okay. You were able to have groups of 10 or more people. Yes. We, we kind of knew that was going to happen going into it. Uh, the hotel around the corner from us in, uh, in Oak Park let us use their library and bar for $100. <laughs> no so way, that's So our, our venue awesome. was $100. Um, Marcus was the officiant. Uh, Eric, the operations uh-huh. manager, he actually brought, like, the Mevo that we use for, no for remote video In stuff. In order to stream it. To, to stream this it. John awesome. Benedict was the, producer. Uh, yeah, yeah. was the photographer. I thought you were going to say John Benedict played the organ. He should have. <laughs> he should have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People who don't know, he plays organ for the Chicago Cubs. That's he used right. to be here in studio. 
And you know, in terms of going, in terms of going viral, it you know it really didn't. But uh, I think the last time I actually looked, it had like two thousand views. No way. So that's way more than ever would have actually gone to our. That's way more than invited. If I remember the day that it happened, I believe Ian and I separately both we logged on, like we we dropped in, like yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was nice. How memorable! Like what a story to tell the future. So I don't think that your knowing knowing your wife, I don't think she was bothered. But it feels like most brides would feel a loss. Like I didn't get get my wedding. wedding. I I didn't get. I'm just guessing Uh, that wasn't your case. Maybe she was putting on a brave face, but I think for both of us, it was like. Okay, now we don't have to do all this planning. Yeah. Uh, nobody, I mean, it's like, we, nice. We're, we were going to do a small wedding anyway. Yeah. So actually, like, I was kind of worried that people were going to judge us for having such a small wedding. And I was like, oh. okay, now we didn't have a choice. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. We, we're and just doing what we could. And you celebrated your honeymoon like a year later or something. Is that what happened? Uh, we did. So my, my parents, as a wedding gift, gave us a cruise for our honeymoon. Nice. Those were and really good during COVID, let man. me tell you. Those were where uh, you wanted to be. <laughs> Uh, so, so we had we had booked it uh, for like it immediately, like the weekend after yeah. the wedding, and uh, obviously that got canceled. Right. But uh, Royal Caribbean gave you like a hundred and fifty percent of your value in a, in a voucher. Nice. So we rescheduled it for like six months later, thinking, oh, by then things will be done. <laughs> by then this and, it, and it wasn't, so they canceled that one. So we got one hundred and fifty percent of. That cruise. No way. Just keep and, going. Just keep doing and, it. And then we scheduled it like again, but they announced that they were starting like two weeks after we were scheduled. Come on. So they rescheduled us again. So no. we ended up getting two full cruises out of it. That's we, amazing. We, we did like our actual honeymoon, like a year. It ended up being like okay. a year and a half later. Okay. And then a year later, this past fall, we went on a second cruise that, that was so Keith, free. Keith is the only person Man. who like. His life was improved by COVID. Basically, in every way. Keith yearns for the days of COVID. All right. I feel like we need to ask for your wedding stories. If you have crazy ones, pandemic or not, let us know on our social media at Common Good Talk on Facebook. Coming up next, celebrity pastor in the media again. We're going to talk about that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. If you missed our earlier conversations, we've been talking a lot today. It's wedding season, so we've been talking mm-hmm. about crazy wedding stories. And if you have one, we'd love to hear it. Go to our social media, at Common Good Talk on Facebook. Let us know maybe a wedding you attended, a wedding you were in. If you have any unique wedding stories, we want to hear them. Brian, I haven't told you this. One time I attended a wedding where the bride sang herself down the aisle. I've, uh, I once attended a wedding where the bride recorded it in advance. So it played what? over the speakers, no. but it was Have her singing. This? No, this is amazing. no, no. Wow, wow, yeah that that feels like the height of hubris a little bit. Like mm-hmm. just get away. That's not going to go well. Yeah, it's yeah, not just gonna get go a well. Singer. All right. Um, so if you are a lover of Hillsong Church or a hater of Hillsong Church, either way, you might be excited because the release of the Hillsong documentary, The Secrets of Hillsong, a four part series is finally available on FX and Hulu. And apparently it's the first time Carl Lenz, who's 
fallen celebrity pastor, one-time hype priest. I just love the name hype priest. I know, it's so funny. Uh, Former spiritual mentor of Justin Bieber and other celebrities. It's the first time supposedly he's spoken publicly about allegations that he had affairs, etc. And apparently he does say, yes, I had an affair. But what he does is deny that his behavior was abusive. He suggests the relationship was consensual. Essentially he says, the only person who really was hurt here was my wife. Here's what he actually says. I don't want to put words in his mouth. He says there were mutual adult decisions made by two people who lied profusely, mainly to my wife. Mm -hmm. So we did not say the only person hurt here. Okay. So let's talk about, there's so many layers I think here, Brian. One, that there is a documentary about Hillsong. Like, that's the biggest thing yeah. here for me, because Lentz plays a major role. But obviously, Brian Houston, the mm-hmm. creator, the, the founder of uh-huh. Hillsong, he has since lost his job. Like, yep. Hillsong, um, you know, is just mammoth. And the fact that there was so much, they don't make documentaries about things that aren't drama filled. So the fact, like what makes a good documentary, right? So the fact that there is this long documentary series about ostensibly a church tells you all you need to know about Hillsong and all you need to know about its history, all you need to know about how it's perceived, right? Carl Lentz. The church didn't give him the name hype priest. That came, that came from the media. media. Yeah. And so, you know, there are details in here and I think a lot of it rests on Carl Lentz, but I'm just thrown by the fact that like Hillsong had so much drama to it. They could make a documentary about it. And that people want to watch it. Like it was like, yeah, here's what's not going to come out in the documentary. This week we wrote our sermon and we cared for people and we did a lot of shepherding. Right. This and week we had a long staff meeting thinking about the future. Right, and, right, and right. So it is just that's the most telling part to me. Like, all right, so Hulu sat around or FX and said, "What would make a good documentary?" Hillsong Church is so, all you need to know about Hillsong uh, so and the celebrity I, pastor. I am going to watch it. I haven't watched it yet, so I'm not judging it or anything. But here's what I wonder, and then this makes me honestly like, oh, this is not good. So. Hulu, and I don't know if FX was a part of it, but they also did the Jerry Falwell documentary, the oh. Jerry Falwell scandal documentary that came out uh, maybe last year. I'm trying to remember. And so there's a part of me now wondering if this is like um, a new genre in uh, viewing, streaming, mm. like the churches or the famous Christians that are sort of falling apart at the seams. Let's make a documentary about it. It should be because Christians are going to watch it because they want to see how did this happen? And non-Christians are going to watch it because they're going to go, A, it's scandalous. We watch scandalous stuff. But B, see, I always knew this about these. Like there's a there's a market for it for sure. Right. If it was. You know, if, yeah, there's all sorts of people, but it's just sad. Like, this is, if you want to know why we rage against celebrity culture and hype priests and this, this is it. Like, yeah. go watch the documentary. You're yeah. going to see, and you're, you know what you're going to mostly feel if you're a Christian out there? My church looks nothing like that. I but. hope that's true. I think a lot of churches will say, oh, wait, I have a pretty decent, healthy pastoral yeah. staff. You I, know I hope I mean? so. Uh, this also feels like um, a weird Carl Lentz um, rehabilitation tour. So I, that is a 
critique and a question I have. I haven't watched it yet, but I know he's like the first half of the documentary's main character. That's language that they're using at religionnews.com. Of course, like you said, later they cover the story of Brian Houston and the church itself. But that's what I feel like. This is PR. This is Carl Lentz's PR so that he can, you know, he's back on staff at, or not back on staff, he's on staff at Transformation Church in a consulting role. He begins to sort of rebuild his platform through all of this, Mm -hmm. right? Which I, I, I don't like that either. And I know, you know, we look at the life of so many followers of Jesus in the Bible who fell from grace and were restored. Peter being the most famous became the rock upon which God built his church. So I, I don't believe God is ever done with the business of restoration. But when it gets like, it's all sort of smoke and mirrors and media driven. And there doesn't seem to be actual accountability Mm -hmm. from community and actual awareness of what happened from the perpetrator. I don't like it, Brian. No, no, not at all. There's not a good look. Yeah. There's so much ugliness to this. And so, you know, we could be held to account. I'd like to watch this documentary, too. And yeah. you might think, well, why watch it? You guys know the details, you know. Right. Because I like to watch stuff like this. Yeah. And there's some, there is stuff to be learned. But what is really sad is there's going to be another Carl Lentz. I know. There's going to be another Brian Houston. Uh, there's going to be another Hillsong. People still aspire for this. Yeah. People want to be the hype priest and yep. all of this stuff. And this is what's wrong with the celebrity culture of our church. Like, as long as these exist, people are going to have a skewed view of the church. People are going to, I don't even know how, you know, I almost want to use air quotes for some of this. Like when I use the word church or pastor or this or that, but that's the problem. Cause you know, who gets written up all the time and who gets documentaries, these guys, when they're successful and when they fail and you know, it was Bill Hybels in the eighties and nineties. It was Mark Driscoll and others in the early two thousands. And then it's this. And, and, you know, I think Christians, you need to watch this with, well, if you watch it, you need to watch it with like sadness. That's it. Not, not in like a, um, car accident kind of way, but in like a, so sort of sober minded self-reflection kind of way. Like, did I contribute to, how am I contributing to celebrity culture and Christianity and be sad that, a church that is deeply influential around the world, like this has sort of become their narrative. What's interesting, Brian, as I'm looking at this, there's a poster for the show, The Secrets of Hillsong is what it's called, and it's got Carl Lentz, long Jesus hair. Yes. He's sort of standing in a very spiritual, a saint-like, mm-hmm. uh, it's in association with Vanity Fair. Like there's just some strange things here. Lentz apparently said on Instagram that cooperating with a documentary that we did not control, that we did not have any say in, that we haven't seen yet, was a decision made as part of their healing. I'm sure there's going to be lots of people questioning if that was a good decision or not. I am in, I'm interested to see it and then kind of go, okay, what do we do next? What do we learn? How do we go from here? I don't know. Call, paint me skeptical. <laughs> but is really the part of healing... No, a documentary. No, is it's that not. really what healing looks like? Nope, no, it is you not know what, what that PR looks like. and restoration, yes. yep. not restoration. Yeah. PR recovery. Yeah. That's what. Now you're talking. Yeah, healing. No, no, no. You are exactly right, Brian. From all right, coming up next, we're gonna talk about the number one phrase to avoid when you're angry and six steps to expressing anger in a healthy way. We'll talk about that when we return. You're listening to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
Brian, later we're going to end the show by bringing on a friend of mine. Her name is Amy Sylvester. She's a former staff member at Redeemer Press in New York City, worked under Tim Keller. Yeah. And I thought it'd be nice to hear from her just some of the personal stories she has. I know I don't know if she'll share this, but one of her stories she's given me permission to share is she had a son who died, a baby named Hudson. And after he died, she wasn't working there anymore. She wasn't even part of the church anymore. She wasn't even in New York City anymore. Tim Keller and Kathy Keller both reached out to her mm. saying, we're weeping with you. We're here if you need us. And so I know she's going to have some tremendous stories to talk about just his integrity and yeah. his leadership. Yeah. So you are not going to want to miss that. But before we move on to that, Brian, there's a life coach over at CNBC saying here is the number one phrase to avoid when you're angry. What do you think it is? Do you have any guesses? Who the actual phrase because I would think it's something about taking it personal yeah, or something yeah, about, you like, it. you always do this or, like, growing it uh-huh. beyond something. Okay, here's what it is. Uh, this was surprised me. It's, you make me feel, dot, dot, dot. Avoid that. You make, yes, avoid I thought that, that was what you were taught I to do. I thought you were, too. But she says, our default, you make me feel X, Y, Z, is not really a true statement. We are coming to any interaction with our own words, our own history, and our own wounds. Basically, like, no one can make you feel a certain way is what she's saying. She encourages you to name the behavior that triggered you and describe the experience that you had instead. Okay, so um, here's this is, again, a a life coach over at CNBC saying that you should say something like, um, when you do this behavior, my experience is X, Y, Z. Instead of you make me upset when you don't do the dishes yep. or whatever. Yep. When you don't do the dishes, my experience is that you don't care about me. That feels like the same thing. Why do you think it's different? I don't know, because they're a life coach, <laughs> a therapist. <laughs> they're an expert. I think it does probably get complicated when it goes beyond the actual thing and it becomes like, when I start talking about my feelings or how it makes me, it might be like, I'm thinking about my wife, right? If it was like, hey, if she said to me, hey, it frustrates me that she never do the dishes. Yeah. Or if she said, I feel like you don't love me because you don't do the right. dishes. And now it's a much bigger deal. Or yeah. I feel like you always disrespect me by never doing the dishes. Right. Now it's like, now I'm going to get defensive. We're going to fight. As like, opposed well, to like, I, of course oh, I, I'm sorry. Let me do the dishes. Yeah. I'm guessing that's why. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe it like it like elevates it too quickly if you do that. Okay, but she does have six steps to expressing anger in a healthy way. You ready to go through them? Mm-hmm. All right. Get in a better space emotionally. Then set aside a time to talk. And here are the steps. One. Set the intention for the conversation. Think about what you're hoping to gain from the discussion and what a solution looks like for you. I almost think you also need to express that. Like, here's what I want to talk about. Because as we've said before on this show, and anyone who gets in fights with their spouse knows, you start fighting about the dishes. Mm -hmm. And before you know it, another fight has started about the the yard work. And then a a fight has started about... The kids not having enough help because you're doing it all in your own. You know what I mean? Like we fight about this thing and this thing and this thing. And then you actually like never resolve the dishwashing problem. Right. Uh, and I think of this like this is the most helpful for like spouses. But even at work mm. or even if I need to have a hard conversation with somebody at church, say, and it's where you set the intention at the beginning is helpful because otherwise you just start making assumptions. Yeah. Oh, maybe he just wants to chat. Oh, right. they have to know why I'm talking to them and all this stuff. And it, it so takes true. away the ambiguity of, okay, 
Here's what we need to talk about. Yeah. And even do it before it even starts. Like in the, hey, I want to meet with you. Here's what I want to talk about. Later to talk about X, Y, Z. All right. Second, bring awareness. Share your experience about how the action affected you without making it personal. It's very hard for me not to make things personal, especially with my spouse. But okay. (laughs) See if that's possible. Three, take responsibility for the role you've played. I feel like I'm actually really good at this. Own up to how many, how you may have contributed to the problem. I feel like, in fact, with Kevin, it it's particularly helpful to go, here's what I did wrong, here's yeah. what I did wrong, but I also need you to know this thing happened on your side of the conversation, too, you know? What if you don't feel like you've done anything wrong? I know. Isn't that hard? So we have gotten in conflicts, not a lot, but, like, where generally one of us is like, I didn't do anything wrong. Right. I think the hard part is it doesn't really help. So I don't think you necessarily have to, like, take ownership over something you didn't do. But there has to be a hum- a humility you're coming to the table with. Because if you're just there with your spouse, like, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Right. Especially that never big goes stuff. well. Especially big stuff. I remember somebody told me years ago, um, blame is rarely equal but always shared. <laughs> so it might be 80-20 yeah. in this situation. It might be... 50-50, yeah. it might be 90-10. Right. But owning what your 10 is mm. uh, in that situation is probably helpful. Yeah. And, and so I do think it's not. That's good. If you always think who's more to blame uh, and they're the only ones who have to that's own anything, gonna that's, go well. that's going to be problematic. It's never going to go well. Okay. Uh, they say, uh, number four, make requests. Decide what you need to move forward and ask for it. Be as specific as possible. Sure. That's helpful. Yeah, I think that's a good one. I do sometimes in my marriage think that Carrie should be able to read my mind. I, that's, I'm so guilty of that. Yeah. Like, doesn't he know blah, 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 blah? And then I'm like, oh, he probably doesn't. Nope. And I have to tell him. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. Isn't it funny? Okay, five, create partnership. Ask them what they need from you to meet your request and see if they're willing to fulfill it. <laughs> What do you need from me so that you do the dishes? So that you do what I want you to do. Okay. Some of these I have to deal with bigger things. I I think so too. Like they're not just sort of petty day to day. All right. Here's the last one. Positive feedback. End on a good note and acknowledge the care that's required to show up in a conversation about conflict with an open mind. I think these are all helpful steps, especially kind of stepping away from the anger and doing it in a way that's non-emotional. Like, mm-hmm. I think that is just overall really, really good advice. The hard part is it's rarely, things rarely go this sort of smoothly. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, I think in a true conflict, even if it's someone you love deeply, like your spouse, it's rare that you like, and then we move on to step three. Like, usually after step one, there's already, you're you're already off and running. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I would say if you can't, if you're married and you can't, work through tension that's when you got to get to a counselor that's it's so when good you need Ryan. some some yeah. outside voices to say listen yeah you guys are bringing all this baggage in you're bringing yep. all this expectations like you we need to unpack some deeper things like if you if every time you talk about the dishes it turns into world war three that's a problem you need help it's a problem you know what's so funny when i was like early early married i really thought the healthy right thing to do was to talk about everything like Mm, everything no everything was on the table and i do remember my mom one time saying this old phrase i mean it's not like my mom's catchphrase it's a phrase for a reason pick your battles Mm -hmm. and there are still times and i'm like is this worth fighting about it's probably not i'm gonna pick my battles and i i used to think that was inauthentic or like conflict avoidant but sometimes i think it's actually just smart like not everything has to be an issue is what i'm trying to say 
What do you think about that? I think that is wisdom brought over 22, 23 years of marriage. Yeah, I, I think, think you are probably If right. everything's a fight and everything's a battle and everything's a winner and loser, uh, that marriage is not going to last. Yep, yep. Brian's right. Get yourself to a therapist if you can't work through conflict. Otherwise, it's worth doing the work if you can because it'll make your marriage stronger. Well, coming up next, like I said, we're joined by Amy Sylvester. She's a former staff member at Tim Keller's Church in New York City. She's going to share some personal stories about the Kellers when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. As you know, this week, we've been reflecting on the life and legacy of Pastor Tim Keller. So I'm thrilled to be joined today by my friend, Amy Sylvester. I know her through Nothing is Wasted Ministries. She's the community director there. She's also a former staff member at Redeemer in New York City, Tim Keller's church. Amy, thanks so much for being here with us today. I am so honored. Thank you for asking me. So like I said, Brian and I have just been reflecting personally on what Pastor Keller meant to us. And I would love for our listeners to hear from you. How did your life even intersect with uh, Tim and Kathy Keller? Um, well, years ago, I listened to him all the way back in the ancient days on cassette tape. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said, Amy. So did I. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, I really, a, a dear friend of mine and mentor of mine was working at his church, and I called her for advice on kind of a next step for me after working for a college ministry called Campus Outreach. And in that conversation, she recruited me to New York City. Hmm. And uh, so it took several months for that to all pan out, but ended up, um, you know, working there and um, getting to be on that staff team for a number of years. And just such an honor and privilege to um, be at Redeemer in general, but then obviously it's New York City, so that's mm-hmm. incredible. And then obviously to get to intersect. When Tim and Kathy were there, kind of at the um, height of their investment there, they it was I was there as things were transitioning and um, it, it was becoming different sites. And he was senior pastor still, but there was a lot of movement mm-hmm. and, um, you know, so exciting times. That's amazing. So, Amy, most of us just knew of Tim Keller through his wonderful writings or his speaking, right? And you had more of a, you know, a, a working personal relationship. So, uh, tell us about Tim Keller as a person and is everything that we hear about his character and, you know, he is what he said he was, uh, actually true. Yeah. And, you know, I was one of many. Right, so, right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Understood. Um, you know, he was leading a, a whole movement there alongside other leaders, but I did have some of the of him that have really come to mind through my tears over the last mm. week of my he was my pastor and he was someone who I knew from a distance, but then got these little like little moments of connection with him. And, um, and I, there was a, an email that went out from the redeemer leadership and it said, um, I'll just quote it. And it said, there was no dissonance between the man you saw publicly and the man you witnessed privately. Wow. And I loved that idea of dissonance, you know, cause I love music and singing. And so that there was, that it was such a great, way to explain that him mm. um because you know he was very much tim keller all everywhere mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah uh, and so you could kind of hear his voice down the hallway and mm. um just he because he had that you know that voice we all know 
Um, and one special moment that, you know, there's several, but one I'll highlight was we were, I was just walking to the copy room and he was in the hallway and he said he stopped me, called me by name, which again, you know, big staff, big church, and just said, hey, I ran into some of your people. And I was like, I've been on staff maybe two years at this point. And I was, I didn't know what he meant by yeah. that. He had, been, he had been at a conference or something. And he said he had run into people who had worked for Campus Outreach, which was who I was on staff with before coming to Redeemer. And so and then he remembered I had moved from North Carolina, just very specific to me. Wow. So, um, and just chatted with me about the vision of that ministry and their discipleship and things. He was just championing that Mm. ministry, but also just, hey, I ran into some of your people that he would remember that detail. Totally. Um, yeah, so that tells you something about who he, his mind, how brilliant he is. Mm. We all know that. But then also just how personal. I think one thing that I keep hearing that he just was never, for someone who had such a busy schedule um, and had, you know, things pulling at him all the time, you didn't feel that with him. Mm. He, was, he never felt rushed or anxious or he was wow. always very present and attentive. Wow. And so, and I'll just say too, overarching, like he really prioritized the the staff. We we always had staff lunches that he led and came in with purpose for the staff Mm -hmm. team. And, you know, to be in that room, like him guiding us and leading us and what he would call the Redeemer DNA and um, just really investing in us when he could have been on any platform anywhere. Um, Yeah. So... It sounds like to me he was just an actual pastor, like which, mm-hmm. which yeah. in this, you know, earlier in the show we talked about some of the celebrity pastors that have fallen. A new documentary coming about Hillsong, and you know, maybe it's unfair to compare the two, but here, you know, Carl Lentz in New York City, Tim Keller in New York City, to have a pastor who could have been a celebrity but actually remained a pastor, and like you were saying, no dissonance is so impressive. I mean, I think it's just so worthwhile to celebrate that. They just sent a video out from him as like a, a, a championing of the Redeemer kind of next steps for the congregation and or the congregations because it's multi um, sites or whatever. But um, he was like, you know, he very much is like, don't build a name for yourself. Like, well, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is about the beauty of Christ. It's about Jesus. And I think that's what people keep saying about him is he kept the main thing, the main thing he made time for. I mean, I remember this was years ago, but. I remember, and again, he could be on any platform anywhere, you know, in with his um, his name and his, what he had built yeah. in terms of like writing and just being so well known and so eloquent. But I remember he uh, kind of curated a group of skeptics, and or he had the team do that, and he week after week after week sat with them to hear their questions. Wow! And wanted to, he he cared deeply about the questions of people who were questioning Christ mm-hmm. and, um, and such a, uh, uh I want to build a bridge and we've all, his sermons are always about, well, here's where we all agree and here where, here's where the bridge is to Christ. And mm-hmm. he was so good about wrapping sermons in the beauty of Jesus. Yeah. And, but I just love that he did that from the pulpit, but he, he really preached in such a way that you could come in being angry or skeptical or an atheist or agnostic and walk away um, knowing more about the beauty of Christ and mm. experiencing that. But he did as part of his, you know, role at Redeemer too. Yeah. Like, let me, let me gather skeptics with questions and sit with them. And it, you know, it just, that, yeah, that was a beautiful thing. Yeah. To me. So beautiful. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that, that we've read in the retrospectives and all of this stuff, but I'm wondering what you saw. It was uh, one of the things that I love, they said, is he so clearly loved his wife all the way. Like it was, <laughs> it was so clear to everybody yeah. all the way to the very end. Uh, how did yeah. you see that? How did you see that as a staff member? Oh my goodness. That's something I did get to observe regularly because, um, that, yeah, that was very beautiful. And they were a team and Kathy did a lot of our editing and things for the congregation at that time. And so I know like as much as you're hearing Tim's voice, you're he- hearing hers, like, because she would edit, you know, and read his stuff. And she was really a mirror for him in his work. And she's brilliant on herself. And I got to meet with her some. She gave me a lot of advice about my own journey and my. Mm kind of path in my, you know, whether I should go to seminary or not, things like that. But watching her be a mirror for Tim and um, experiencing their relationship. And in fact, they did a marriage seminar when my husband and I were engaged that we got to go to. And um, they were just so honest and Mm. so um, vulnerable about the realities of marriage, but also the beauty of marriage. And um, so, yeah, that was something I really did get to see, you know, them even just talking in the hallway or, how he talked about Kathy, how he looked at Kathy, um, how he cared for her when she had some sickness over the years. So just um, they were had a real partnership and a real respect for each other. Mm. I mean, you know, that because they both had these brilliant, brilliant minds, wow. but they really were um, so respectful mm. of, you know, each other. So, yeah, that, thanks for asking about that. That was yeah. something that I really a treasure. Oh, so precious. Amy Sylvester is a former staff member at Redeemer Prez in New York City, serving under Pastor Tim Keller. She also serves as the community director at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, where she ministers to people in grief. You can find out more at nothingiswasted.com. Amy, thanks so much for being here with us today and sharing your memories of Tim Keller. Thank you, guys. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.